Hey, Kevin. Hi, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very good. It's been a good week. Yes. Busy, but good week. Yes. Perfect. Today's topic, we're talking about how to start small and aim big. You wanted to dig into how, from an entrepreneur perspective, actually a quote that I quite often use to other people, which is something you said to me before, is if you don't know where you're going, don't complain about where you end up. <laughs> yeah, I think that's very true. And I see it in all walks of life, whether it's marketing, personal, professional, just that actually I think that's it's really clear. And I think it'd just be good maybe to hear in your words a bit more just how you see that as a as a plan and the process that you need to go to and then we can dig in a bit more depth now. Yeah, yeah, sure. I've kind of had it for years. I think it came from, I think many, many years ago, I read The Seven Habits by Kobe. Yeah. Uh, and it stuck with me. And one of the things that stuck with me is, you know, start with the end in mind on the grounds that if you don't, you'll be very busy, but back to your point, you know, don't complain when you find you're somewhere that you didn't intend to be. Yeah. Might be an enjoyable journey, but it won't be the outcome that you expected. So I think starting with the end in mind is critical. I don't know many people that aren't busy, but you can fill your time quite easily, but everyone has 24 hours in a day. And it's how do you take that forward to where you really want to be as opposed to there's always stuff to do. It's very rare that you're twiddling your thumbs and think, what am I going to do right now? So Absolutely. We yeah. can always be busy, but it's busy doing the right things, which leads me on to the next point of having a kind of a three-year goal of where you're going and some targets is critical. Yeah. But then what you've got to do, obviously, is uh, I'm not a sailor, but I believe when you're sailing, you know, the wind blows in all sorts of directions. Yeah. So you have to tack towards the end game. So if you look to, in plan view, a ship sailing towards a target, it wouldn't go in a straight line. It would yeah. go in a kind of like a wiggly line based upon where the wind's blowing it. And the same thing with any of our businesses that we run. It hardly ever, I don't think it's ever ended up, you follow the exact plan that you wrote down. The differentiator is the people that hit their target are those that have a clear target. And every week, every day, every month, you're working out, am I making progress? Yeah, it's a whole, I love the book, will it make the boat go faster? For that reason, that they know exactly where they're going, aiming for a gold medal, which means, I think in their case, it's how do you get a world record? Because yeah. if you have a world record time, you're pretty confident that there's a very good chance you're going to get a gold medal. And then you work backwards. If what you're doing is taking you towards that target, do it. If it's not, then you're wasting your time. It's very simple. But runners do the same thing. If you're an Olympic athlete and you're going to run 100 meters, every time you shave a millisecond consistently off your time is another millisecond towards a world record keep going are there any tips or techniques you have on i feel like in the past for myself i've always been guilty too much of thinking too far ahead and not much about the day-to-day actions that's going to get me there and i feel like to a certain extent as a team and a company you need people that can think on different levels but they've got clear alignment behind what they're doing so you have someone that may be even like a day-to-day project manager of how are we just taking things forward in the right way possible right now. But then you've got someone that's bigger picture thinking that's ensuring they're pulling towards that overall vision and vice versa. But at an individual level, have you got any tips behind how do you maybe prioritize your actions on a day-to-day basis that is working towards the bigger picture of where you really want to get to? Yeah, and I think it's a great point. I think people have got different techniques that they use. So there's all sorts of tools that you can read on the internet about. I forgot which is the one that a lot of the supper club members use, OKRs, 
Yeah, people use OKRs. I think Google have used OKRs very successfully. There's the uh, another one about, I think it's called the six disciplines of execution. There's all sorts of different things you can use. What I kind of like is I've, I've got a step-by-step guide. And maybe I'll just like run through the steps. Yeah, definitely. Do. And like unpack the steps. Yeah. So I think for anyone, it starts with, you know, think about why you exist as a business. So I think the owner's got to work out what's the, you know, call it a mission, call it a raison d'etre, call it what you like. You've got to know why you exist. Because that has to be, I think people call that kind of like, you know, your North Star. You have to know why you're, you're there. Yeah. Without that, the vision is very hard for people to relate or buy into where you're going. I think you yeah. start, start with why. Simon Sinek's, you know, brilliant three circles. If people haven't looked at that, it's probably the best thing I've ever seen about organizational kind of like design and about behavior. Start with why, and then you work out the rest. I um, use that for marketing all the time. If yeah. you can't tell me why you're doing something, I don't care about tactically how you're going to do it. Exactly right. Yeah, the why, how, and the what. It was a brilliant piece of work simplified into three uh, basic questions. Then defining a smart vision. So have a smart vision that's far enough out such that it's ambitious and you don't get there next week. Yeah. Close enough such that it's realistic. I think having a 20-year goal for me is like a bit pointless, especially given I'm 56. So... <laughs> You know, having a three-year target is probably a good idea. A three-year goal, I would say. I make it yeah, sense. That makes sense. And then you can, in three years' time, hopefully you'll get there and then see what the next three years look like. But yeah, right. always looking three years out does make sense to me. Otherwise, yeah. it's, it's quite hard to say. Certainly in the world we're in, it's so fast-paced. What does five, ten years look like? It's- exactly. I mean, it used to be, back in my strategy days, we would do a five- and ten-year vision for an organization. The world's changing too much now. But there's a school of thought that says, well, you can't have a three-year vision. It's impossible. It's like, well, not impossible at all. You have a three-year vision. If the world, as it has done, changes dramatically, sure, you'll need to review that. But the world doesn't normally change dramatically. The world changes incrementally, normally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I was on a podcast myself yesterday, and one thing I said was, in the early days, and I think this might be a life cycle of an entrepreneur, but I was talking about how I used to be very decisive and I feel like at heart I still am but I realized that after a certain period of time that if I'm just making very quick decisions back then I was happy to go in the wrong direction and learn from it and then adjust course and see where it takes me yeah I would prefer that to standing still because I feel like going backwards actually I'm going to get somewhere whereas doing nothing I'm not going to get anywhere yeah and I, I still believe that today, but I think the, the big thing is how do you take a team along with you? And yeah. I don't want to go too off course the topic of this. It's probably another podcast in itself. But exactly. I think how do you understand where you want to go and that alignment with the team is absolutely crucial. I mean, I think, you know, it does play into this, which is as the owner, you start out with why, you define a smart vision and you get people to buy into it. Cotter yeah. did a very, very simple, very clever piece of work many years ago which was there's a seven-step change process. Anyone that's trying to take a team with them, you'd be wise to look at Cotter's work on the seven steps of change. I think you might have adapted it now to the eight steps of change. Right. But it talks exactly about that. You need to know where you're going. You need to get people to buy into it. Yep. You need to build a coalition of people with a common sense of purpose. You need to make some quick wins. And you need to keep reviewing where you are. You know, the basic fundamentals of bringing a team with you really haven't changed that much because human beings haven't changed that much in the last kind of 50 or 100 years. Yeah, and I think the trick is, is finding that right balance between being decisive but not telling everyone everything that you need to do. You don't want to be micromanaging it. But yeah. you still, ideas by committee, or if you're too far 
down the line. I, I feel like that that just ends up to everything gets diluted. So it's like you need strong leadership, but at the same time, you need to get everyone involved and bought into that idea as well. So that there's a, a tricky balance, I would say, behind that. I mean, we should definitely do another podcast on leadership and management because I suspect a lot of entrepreneurs in their mind don't differentiate that because yeah. you start out running your own business with one, two or three of you and there isn't any delineation of role. You're all getting on with it. And then yeah. before you know it, you're like 10 or 15 people and the owner-manager has to become the leader. And I'm sure in football, there's probably a very similar analogy of some kind. Yeah, there would be. And I think to me, the, the key is how as a leader can you create more leaders? And the football analogy would be you have a manager and you have a captain and you have other people that take responsibility <clears throat> not down to one person. But yeah, let's save that one for another day. <laughs> So we've got basically start out with why. Step two, define a smart vision. Step three, understand where you are today in detail. If you don't know where you are today, how on earth are you going to write a plan to get to where you need to be? Because otherwise the plan's not grounded in reality. And again, people don't spend time doing a situation analysis. Mm -hmm. What's the current situation? Where are we? So you've got why, then you've got vision, then you've got where are you today in detail, and then you can build a plan. Yep. How do I get from where I am today where I need to be in the future, set some milestones. And once you've got some milestones, then you need to obviously get a small group around you, more experienced advisors, ideally, to help with shortcuts, tell you where your blind spots are. So this is more for the leader than it is for the team. But to, to execute on that plan, you need someone that's basically your kind of like grit in the oyster, the person that can challenge you from the side to say every month or every quarter, okay, where are we on the plan? How are things going? Because yeah, the, um, yeah. lots of entrepreneurs have the shiny new thing syndrome, but a vast majority have the shiny new thing syndrome. So within a month, the entrepreneurs got off and found 20 other things they'd like to do instead. Or someone's got to hold them to account to say, you know why you exist. You've got a plan of where you're going. You've told the team and engaged them. They're all agreed. You've built some milestones. And now this month, you appear to have gone off and built some new product. What on earth is that about? Yeah, I found that actually my approach, I feel like, has got more focused as I've added more experience. So I found, I've, I've found, seen it in you, Kevin, you've got much more focused. And what I mean is by that is I can see as we're growing, what is it that we're really doing well? How do we do more of that? How do we focus on that? It's not so much here's a distraction, here's a new thing. We are in a fast-paced world. I yeah. can't ignore the market, etc. But I, I feel like actually, in a lot of cases, it's how do we double down? How do we get more granular, more focused, as opposed to the opposite of let's start doing X, Y, and Z because it would be yeah. fun, cool, etc. Like that, that just doesn't excite me so much. And I, yeah, I can see it in you as a leader, whereby you're much more outward facing now. You know, mm -hmm. sure, you've still got to do client uh, service work and you still have to be involved in client projects but much more you're looking at where's the market going what are the trends much more on thought leadership because that tacking we talked about at the beginning if you're a boat the vision doesn't change but market conditions will um either force you or give an opportunity to tack towards that outcome in a different way you might find a faster route you might find blockages in the way you need to be able to adapt when it's right to adapt but you also need to have quite a blinkered view at some times of just actually I'm, I'm not going to even worry about anything else right now because this is what we're working on let's make it work and happen and not get distracted so again I think it's a balance it is a balance and I think if you look at any research about the traits of very successful you know highly successful people 
they say no to like 90% of things they get asked. Yeah, I love the Warren Buffett tip of his calendar. You can't book a meeting with him if it's more than two days away because he doesn't know what he's going to be doing at that point in time and if it's important enough. And I think that's actually a really good tip. Okay, so we've got to step four, build a plan. So the final step five. Yeah, step five was about just to kind of like, you know, recap, you say, why, vision, where are you today? Build the plan, yep. put milestones in place, and then have some sort of cadence where you review what progress you're making against those milestones towards that vision. Step five for me, and, and this is definitely for the kind of like the owner, the entrepreneur, the founder, the CEO, is you do need people around you. You can't be a lone hero. You need people around you that are advisors that have got complementary skills and experience. Ideally, you want to be learning from people that have either trodden that path before or have 10 or 15 years more experience of doing something similar but different yeah. that you can use to hold you to account. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's, it's learning from the mistakes. But the other thing is everything changes in time. I can't do what you did. And I've also found I can't do what I did five years ago. Like yeah. what, I, what I used to do that works, I can't just say, oh, we were doing really well back then. Let's just do that again. Because the market changes, people catch up. So I think it's just having someone that can be there as a sounding board to say, this is my advice. This is what yeah. I did. Maybe this is what I would do now. But ultimately, as the leader and the entrepreneur, you're always accountable for your own actions so it's kind of how do you collect the best information from advisors yeah, yeah. and even podcast books any information that you can get but then obviously ultimately it's it's you that lives and dies by those decisions so you have to take that on board and I think that's a really important point kevin i think and i think that's where mistakes get made is mm-hmm. that entrepreneurs ceos that say well you know you gave me the advice i followed it and it didn't work it's like well that's a bit naive someone from the outside isn't running your business so yeah. the idea that the best chief execs i've ever met have taken they've normally got three or four people around them they'll seek counsel from experienced senior people and then they'll take three or four inputs and they'll think about it and then they'll decide what's the best course of action for our company given our situation currently, based on some of the advice I've received. That's a smart thing to do. But you wouldn't say, well, what do Mrs. Advisor, what should I do? And then just like verbatim implement what they do. Or even worse, say to the advisor, well, your experience is 10 years out of date. It's irrelevant. It's an advisor. (laughs) I actually think that comes with experience as well, because in the early days of running a company, we had an advisor who used to frustrate me and used to frustrate me because I was just like, I don't know what to do. Just tell me. Now I'm the opposite of I, I love accountability. Like people look at me weirdly when I say, if everything goes wrong and it's all my fault, I'm okay with that. That's fine. I, I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. I'm more than happy to say, let's go down this route. If it doesn't work, just blame me. That's fine. I, I, I really don't have a problem with that whatsoever. And I, but I feel like as a, an entrepreneur and business owner, I feel like that's actually a good trait if you're, you're willing to put your name on it, put everything behind making it happen. And if it still doesn't succeed, yeah. as long as you've given it your best, then you've got nothing to feel ashamed about. It's just you, you've got to try something and go for it. And you, you don't always know what that outcome is going to be, but you have to be quite strong in your belief behind it. That does mean that you take advice, but it also means that you're willing to put your name on it. And if it goes wrong, then no excuses. You just move on to We've made some huge mistakes in the past. Yeah. And I've collected around me some brilliant advisors and some really, really not so good advisors. But I've always lived by the mistakes and said, well, I'm accountable. It's no one else's fault. No one else's mistake. It's mine. 
I chose a direction. I chose to do something. Yeah, the fact that I may have had brilliant advice from someone or poor advice from someone, well, that's down to my judgment. Yeah, I, I heard someone say recently, it's kind of like, if you listen to all advice, you just come full circle. Correct. <laughs> so actually, you you can, we've got to filter that advice. What's the advice where you think you're mad? I'm going to ignore you. What's the advice where you think this is useful? I'm going to take it on board. And it's your decision and it's no one else's fault. And advice is situational. I think that, yeah, the relationship that we've got now, we're business colleagues, but yeah, we're also friends. And it's taken three, yeah, three or four years, I guess. Mm-hmm. But the kind of advice you seek from me is very different now than it was kind of three years ago. I yeah. think our relationship's much better now because you kind of, you've obviously worked out when's it best to ask Mike what his view is. Yeah, true. Yeah. Other people that you talk to. For all yeah. sorts of different topics. Well, this person's better for this context. Yeah, that's true. It could be if, if I've got maybe a reason to take another agency owner out for lunch or something like that to ask them questions exactly. versus actually this is something that I know Mike's done before. Yeah. I'll just about the phone. So, yeah. You're negotiating something. You know, you, you will often come to me and say, trying to negotiate this deal. This is where we are in the process. What are your thoughts? Yep. You know, I've got lots of negotiation experience and, and we've got different ways of seeing things. But you wouldn't come to me and say, Mike, I've got a marketing plan. What do you think? Because Mike isn't a marketer. Yeah, ours is for different topics. And certainly, and again, as an entrepreneur, those, the things that you do that you don't get into the job typically for doing HR, finance, sales to a certain extent as well. Like these are things that you have to learn. Yeah. And not normally one person that can tell you everything about that i mean you're probably a good example of someone that's had to learn all of that but it doesn't make you the hr expert it means you can tell me what you did and i probably still need to speak to the hr expert but i think surrounding yourself with trusted advisors in different subject matter areas of expertise is really important i mean i think one thing if you're looking for an advisor the thing i'd say to anyone looking for an advisor is you need to find someone that's not going to tell you the answer but also isn't going to irritate you by just asking you lots of questions because that doesn't help either. Yeah. So it's that kind of like someone that's got a bit more humility. And the second thing they need to do is they need to be very good at signposting. So although I'm not an HR expert, I know people who are. Yeah. I'm like, well, if you've got that kind of problem, this is what I saw before, but you want to go and talk to Liz, for example. I think Liz is brilliant. You know, I've pointed other colleagues and clients at Liz to say, if you've got this problem in HR, go and talk to Liz. She's brilliant. And it's that ability to be able to, I think some advisors get in their head that they are all powerful or or knowing and they don't let anyone else talk to the chief exec or the the entrepreneur for fear they'll lose control. It's like, well, that's just a wrong advisor. I just think that's really dangerous. You need to know where the boundaries are on what your levels of expertise are. And again, it, it doesn't mean that you can't advise on areas like finance and as a good example. But it means you need to know where you can draw the line and say, okay, I'm out of my depth now. This isn't my... This isn't you know my I'm very adept at cash flow management. Yeah. Because we do it together and you've seen what I, what I do. But you'd never say to me, Mike, what do you think our tax position should be? Because I'd be like, I've no idea at all, Kevin. I haven't got a clue. Let's go and talk to a tax expert on this. Exactly. So I think one thing just to kind of wrap things up on this would yeah. be, we definitely completely agree on having experts at different levels and different areas. I think it's more how do you keep things on track? So once you've got that big vision um, and you've got the team aligned, how do you then make sure that you're keeping things on track? How often do you review things? And when and why do you need to adjust course? So my, uh, my view on that based on 
kind of years of experience of doing this is for the big stuff, i.e. where you're going as a company, then absolutely a monthly review. The cadence should be, there's a monthly review, call it a board meeting, call it a management team meeting, call it a, a check-in with your advisor, whatever it is, a review against, this is the plan, here are the milestones, here were the targets, yep. how are we doing? Has the market changed? Mm -hmm. Every quarter, you need a bigger review, which is much more market-facing. Yep. What do we see coming up in the marketplace? Where do we think the risks might be? What are the early indications that tough wins ahead? So I think those are the two big things for me is that for the big stuff, the vision-based stuff, monthly cadence, absolutely, in the diary every month, which is an accountability meeting. About yep. Where are we, on, are we on track? And then a quarterly bit more of a step back, does the plan actually still, is it still valid? Because have the market conditions changed dramatically on us? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I would imagine normally that would start quite financially based in terms of performance Correct. and drill down into the reason you're seeing those numbers. So it could be you've had, had a bad month, but there's a good reason for it. And that's going to recover further down the line because you're playing a long game, et cetera. But it's, it, I feel like if you don't start with the numbers, you can almost hide behind the reality, if that makes sense. And if you start with the numbers, these are almost like hard, cold facts of this is what's really happened. So a critical thing for me, which is around those numbers, in that monthly review, you need to have lead and lag indicators. We talk about this a lot. You know, the lag indicator absolutely is the numbers, the rational, the outputs. So the profit, the sales growth, you know, whatever the output is that you're looking for. But you must also have, for every output indicator, you need really two or three lead indicators, which are the input measures about, we need to measure these things because they are going to tell us broadly, if these things are on track, the outcome is likely to be on track as well. And that piece is often missing in people's plans as well, is the, the misunderstanding or the lack of knowledge about the importance of lead and lag indicators. And with your clients, Kevin, you know, in, in ReSignal, you do this all the time, is that, you know, what's their end goal? What's their business goal? So I want to increase conversion rates of my e-commerce site. Well, you know, because of your expert, your deep expertise in the area, well, there's two or three key things that are going to make a big difference in your business to that lag indicator. And those are your leads that you want to measure. There's a lot of comparisons just with business strategy and overall digital marketing strategy that I've definitely brought into how we work and definitely one for keeping things as simple as possible. So what's the easiest way to hit your target as a business perspective? That's definitely something I would look at. We want to get from X to Y. What's the easiest way to achieve it? And likewise, from a let, let's say it's an e-commerce brand, the easiest way to increase more sales is to get more potential customers on the website, which sounds obvious, but sometimes people can overcomplicate this with very tactical pieces that may not deliver upon that. So it's like your yeah. classic link building. Yeah, we've been asked before with, within ReSignal by clients, just bring me an extra X links per month. And we're like, well, okay, why? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's a, it goes back to that Simon Sinek thing of that links might be the answer, but actually are you asking the right question in the first place? And quite often I feel like if that if that question is can we drive more sales? Then the answer might vary. So yeah. <laughs> it's taking it back to that level of what's the core problem to solve? Yeah, what do you really want to hold us account to in terms of the goal and the metric? And we'll do what's best to hit that goal and metric. But it, it might not necessarily be what you're asking us for. So, what do you think, Kevin? What have you kind of what have you picked up? What's your kind of summary for our listeners? 
uh, about this episode? I think a lot of it is being adaptable. I think you still need a level of being able to react and be agile within the market. But from the, from the place of you do know where you're going, you know what the targets are. And again, this can relate to marketing. You, you've done a forecast, you know where you want to be at the end of the year. Stuff will change during that year, especially for the year of 2020. I think the, the key is though that you, you readjust, you look at where you're going, what's realistic, and you make adjustments along the way. And then I think your point around just having the right advisors at different levels, I think is really important. So the marketing analogy might be, you probably wouldn't ask your technical SEO expert to run your paid search ads or create a creative TV ad. You need specialists in different areas and you need to pull them together in order to make informed decisions. And if you're an entrepreneur, again, it's surrounding yourself with advisors based upon the specific challenges that you have at that point in time. I think that's really important. And then, yeah, kind of the final point we were talking about is just the the measurement behind it. How do you not just have this big vision that you think is great, you're going to work to as a three-year plan? It's not a let's see where we are in three years. It's let's see where we are next month against that three-year plan. And then you should be holding yourself to account. In one month's time, it's not a three-year plan. It's a two-year, 11-month plan. How do you keep moving yourself forward against that and be strict with where you are against where you you should be? Very good. Thanks, Kevin. As always, it was great fun. Yep. Look forward to the next. All right. Thanks, Mike. Cheers, mate.